It's Born to Rome today. I'm your host, uh, Luke Bentham, and uh, today I am joined uh, by the one, the only, Mr. Brett Emmons. How you doing, Brett? Thanks for having me, bud. It's my pleasure. I'm very happy that we got to bang this out, uh, and uh, just in the nick of time, it would appear, because uh, uh, for all you out there uh, who don't know, uh, the Dirty Nil uh, currently lives together, and uh, our fourth... And most esteemed roommate is uh, Mr. Brett Emmons of the Glorious Sons. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, my room's all packed. It's all packed and ready yeah. to go. Yeah. Sad day. It's sad a sad to see you day. Go. It's a tough one. Uh, Going to be a tough leaving. Yeah. We've, had, we've, had a, we've just had a fantastic time uh, living together like some sort of uh, rock commune uh, down in the heart of uh, Hamilton, yeah. you know? Uh, just kind of absorbing it all. The, uh, the screams... The uh, the smells, a lot of songwriting going on in this house. Yeah, the sirens, a lot of sirens, a lot of sirens. The whaling lady in the, the way, back. The whaling lady uh, in the in the back, uh, who has since vacated and uh, found a new uh, place to live. Um, we wish her well wherever she is. Should we tell them who the whaling lady is? The whaling lady. We can go into the whaling lady. Tell the people about the whaling lady. We had uh, for several nights um, an individual who was uh, screaming bloody murder out in the uh, backyard uh, adjacent to ours, and um, we notified the authorities. Um, they were uh, unwilling or unable to remedy the situation for several days, and uh, you know it was it was just a. It was I thought t- it was a kidnapping situation. At yeah, first. It, it sounded like there was imminent danger going on. It was but, insane. Uh, it was a very, very uh, alarming uh, scream, uh, which uh, uh, basically uh, eventually came to a head when um, the proper uh, mental health uh, facility workers came to um, address this uh, young lady's uh, particular needs um, and. Uh, I watched it all go down. It was quite dramatic, but uh, she was in good hands, and um, I I wish uh, I wish the best for her. I hope everything's going well. But um, quite a dramatic few days. That was also uh, a few days right in around that time was the time where uh, you went out back for a smoke, and uh, were uh, said. I think I smell something fucked up going on, <laughs> and uh, just then we saw what would you say, 17 fire trucks arrive at our house (laughs) and bang on the door and tell us to get out because the entire uh, block was going to explode because... uh, Natural gas. Some jabroni out back had parked, uh, had had steamrollered one of the central uh, gas lines uh, for the block. And it sounded like rushing water, but it it turns out it was just natural gas shooting out of the ground at... uh, uh, in a very pressurized rate, and uh, we uh, we were told to vacate the smoking. premises. You were smoking, and uh, you almost lit up the Locking whole block with the dark. Like, it smells like gas out here. Yeah, 
And uh, <laughs> so we were told to leave and stand in the uh, Big Bear parking lot across the street. Shout out to Big Bear parking lot. Always there for all of our needs, 24 hours good, a day. Good convenience store. Great. Hamilton's convenience store is best in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent service. Um, but then we met our old lady neighbor. We did. Who, uh, whose famous quote is... Uh, <laughs> They're pooping in there. Yeah. <laughs> she was discussing uh, one of the houses uh, next to ours where uh, I guess uh, people have uh, been uh, squatting uh, in uh, more than one sense of the word. I and, think they're pooping in there. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so we got to meet the neighbors. That was an interesting experience. But on the, the thing that I remember about that day uh, most significantly for me, other than the uh, cacophony of fire trucks and firefighters um, in... Our, our, our house uh, was uh, that uh, we were told to that we had, were going to have to leave for a while, and uh, Mr. Brett Emmons decided that his attire for this uh, emergency <laughs> vacation was going to be some uh, what was it? Uh, bass, fish? Yeah, bass flip flops. Bass flip flops. They look like giant fish. <laughs> And uh, some sweatpants, <laughs> and what I—I I think you had maybe a light jacket, but we were out there for hours, and you—and it was like raining, and you're standing in your bass flip flops. I, I thought we'd be like 15 minutes. Quick, a quick fixer upper with yeah. the natural gas line, and yeah. <laughs> back in the house. Exactly. It didn't quite work out no. that way, did it? But. No. Uh, no. While also while we were out there, uh, we had a big. uh, This was during the, I would say the. uh, So far, uh, what was the height of the COVID scare, um, which is obviously still a factor today. But I think people have begun to relax a little bit towards it, uh, for better or for worse. But anyways, during that time, we were having groceries delivered, and uh, so the gentleman that was delivering our groceries couldn't get to our house because of this fire truck blockade. And so him and his accomplice uh, slash partner put 10 bags of groceries (laughs) on each arm and... Basically, wielded through fire trucks. Yeah, they 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 dove and ducked through the police or the and the police in the fire truck barricade to get to our front door, and they dropped it all on the front porch when they were intercepted by the firefighters, and we waved saying, "Yep, yeah, those are our groceries." And the lovely people of the Hamilton Fire Department actually picked up our groceries and went into our house and put them in the fridge. And then I watched them for a while, and then I saw them walking around. Through this window over here, I saw a police officer uh, or a fire truck man, firefighter. <laughs> uh, a fire truck A fire man. truck man uh, ups- uh, upstairs in my room, and I saw him picking up my guitar pedals, looking at them. And so <laughs> I hope you got a good look there, sir, and thank you very much for preventing our house from exploding. So anyways, long story short, there's a couple of anecdotes in the last month or so, uh, two months or so, that... Um, what it's like to live down here um, in the heart of the city uh, with, uh, you know, all of the all of the pungent Hamilton vibes, uh, mm. you know, wafting in. It's inspiring. Actually. It is inspiring. It seems um, now before we kind of get into the into the past a little bit, I just like to discuss some present things. Um, I would like to just commend your uh, your work ethic, Mr. Emmons. Thanks. You're, you're a very hard worker. Thank uh, you. Brett. Every day is just on the couch or at his piano working on music, and uh, he'll bang out a few tunes a day at just a staggering pace. You know, <laughs> I, uh, as a writer, I am painfully slow, and 
the process is typically an agonizing one for uh, me and my bandmates. Certainly punctuated with moments of ecstasy and breakthrough and all that stuff, but it's a slog. Uh, but for Brett, Brett is an incredibly prolific um, writer, and it, that has been a, uh, an inspiration to watch. So I'd just like to highlight that for the people out there. Thanks, buddy. And I think it's totally different, you know, different processes as well. For sure. Like, you, 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 we were talking about it the other day. You're much more detail-oriented man than I am. Especially I, with instruments? I definitely lose my mind over the details. I yeah. toss and turn at night thinking about whether the bridge is uh, smooth enough to get into the next course <laughs> yeah. and all that uh, yeah. kind of stuff. But uh, uh, I don't bother myself. Yeah. <laughs> you don't let the details get you down. That's what I love about no. you. No. But you, every, every day I hear, I hear a wicked course coming out of that living room. So that's, uh, that's a very cool thing. You know, I love playing in that living room. It's got high ceilings. Yeah, everything sounds good. Nice. Acoustics. Yeah, when you record on your voice notes, mm -hmm. it's just it sounds like butter. Like it's the best place I've uh, ever written songs because I'm used to basements, garages, mm -hmm. uh, bathrooms. Yeah, but uh, you know, there's it's a very inspiring basement. Those big fucking windows. When you guys weren't here, I just opened those windows up as wide as I could and get the light in it, mm -hmm. coming in in the day and watch. You know crazy people and sane people as well mm -hmm. walk by yeah a few yeah. of those yeah. yeah it's it's a it's 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 a those giant windows are certainly quite inspiring like the uh having all that light come in because i guess they're facing west but um you know the afternoon when you're sitting there working on things uh music it's it's a very nice uh, environment and mm -hmm. our lovely neighbors have never complained once about the no. noise we've ever made shout out to our neighbors no and i'm making noise at like 1 a.m 2 a.m some nights yeah like and they've never complained i've cranked up my marshal in that oh, living room and yeah. shaken the paint off the place yeah. and they're still they're still cool yeah sometimes i hear their little chihuahuas barking their asses off so i think we kind of have like a in agreement, like, you know, you don't you don't complain about our dogs, and we won't complain about your obnoxiously, stupidly loud guitars. I think we're certainly worse. Yeah. Oh, we're definitely worse. <laughs> we're we the are bad definitely here. worse. They keep a lovely garden, uh, and uh, all we basically have is a is a is a table. But we're better than the people on the other side yes. of them who poo in their house. Yes, according to that <laughs> yeah. lady. I, I, it's not a stretch. I think that's quite possible yeah. that those yeah. people were, in fact... Uh, Didn't seem like a liar. No. She yeah. seemed like an honest lady. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's dig into the past a little bit. So mm -hmm. do you... It was, was there a quintessential moment for you or at least kind of an artist or something that really turned you on to rock and roll in general? Because, I mean, most people... They kind of, when you're young, like really young, you're just kind of absorbing whatever's around you, know, you. Around you, yeah. you know whether it was much music at a, during our time or whether it's a local radio station and that's kind of where you're getting most of your music from. But was there a time for you, um, being from Kingston, uh, where um, something really permeated through that and gave you a kind of musical uh, interest of your own outside of what you were being kind of force-fed? Um, not necessarily for myself. It was, you know, at a young age listening to ACDC. Mm -hmm. And I thought every song in the world was supposed to be about hell. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were just my favorite, you know, my favorite living band of all time. Um, and I, I didn't really even, when I started listening to ACDC, I didn't really care about any other music. 
Yeah. I thought that they were the only band in the world. I remember playing like, I would get my wrestlers out. Yeah. And I had one of those rings. Mm -hmm. And uh, my one guy, I named him, uh, what was his name? Like Zyler or something. And his walk-up song was Hell's Bells. Nice. So I'd fucking crank the stereo as loud as it could go and he'd come out and I'd envision the crowd going wild. Ah. Yeah. And then <clears throat> my brother was always in bands and they would just get me up on the stage for a joke or uh, in the basement for a joke and, you know, to sing and write songs. But they were always very supportive of me. And I, uh, every song I wrote with them was about hell. Oh, yeah. Like, and I, I was screaming my ass off and I was doing like the Angus Young thing like on the, <laughs> yeah, ground, on the ground, but, it, yeah. but you need to envision like a chubby little kid without a guitar <laughs> and like his parents going like... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's very nice, Brett. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that was kind of like a really long time for me. And I liked rap and a lot of rap and stuff. Between that, I was a big uh, Big L fan and Tupac fan. Um, and then when I was about like 15 years old, and, you know, there was the classics. I loved the classics. Led Zeppelin, just, you know, basically really hard rock yeah. as a kid. And then... When I was 15 years old, I discovered Jackson Brown, mm -hmm. and uh, <clears throat> it just changed my mind of what songwriting could be for a rock and roll, uh, rock and roller. Um, up until that point, I was in a band, and we were, you know, a big, you know, powerhouse solo, and I was screaming as loud as I could. I didn't know what any of my songs were about. I was just putting words together, just learning. Yeah. Um, and when I heard Jackson Brown uh, sing The Pretender, I was just like, holy shit. Like, mm. This can be about so much more than what I knew. I, I kind of thought it had to be about, you know, <laughs> sex and drugs and mountains and Lord yeah. of the Rings. Yeah, <laughs> Vikings. <laughs> no, it's a, that's an interesting moment, for, I think, for, for yeah. a lot of us, too, is where you kind of you realize that... Um, you know, power and heaviness can come from more understated uh, and nuanced sources rather than, you know, sheer volume is certainly a way to get your point across, but yeah. there's also, there's another complete other world. Yeah. And was was your kind of early infatuation or indoctrination into ACDC uh, by just kind of what you were hearing around the house or was it a, kind of a local radio station or is, was it just kind of all around? Well, Jay used to like read me rock and roll biographies and autobiographies and tell me stories as a kid. He's seven years older than me. Yeah. So he'd be babysitting and say he was 14 and I was seven. Wow, yeah. As a young kid, I was learning about this shit, you know, and it was just, I was so impressionable, of course, as you yeah. are at that age and... Uh, my my parents really didn't listen to a lot of music. Everything that I ever listened to was through Jay. So as he learned, I learned. So Jay kind of was instrumental in indoctrinating you into the rock and roll world. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Hundred percent. So you had a good brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We really we we got along. Yeah. Uh, it's me and my middle brother didn't, but me and Jay had a good relationship. He wasn't. You know how everybody's embarrassed of their little brother. Yeah. He was never embarrassed of me. Yeah. He would have parties, and I'd be running around like taking sips of all his friends beer and like i would literally throw on acdc and run around playing the air guitar like a little psycho <laughs> and they'd all be hammered out of their minds just laughing yeah. at me like they loved me they called me brettster like i was they were all so kind that's me. great to have an older brother like that yeah to, uh, 
to really kind of get you going and teaching <clears> you the uh, showing you the ropes of yeah. And so he he would kind of he would br- read these rock bios and kind of impart to you the highlights and yeah. He would read them as bedtime stories for me. Oh, I mean, that's cool. I can't really remember any of them now, like which exact ones he read to me. But he used to get in trouble from my parents, and because I was a young kid. Yeah, he's reading about sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. So your brother was—he uh, helped mythologize rock and roll for hundred percent. And I, <clears throat> I used to write songs as a kid, like not for real, because I didn't start playing the guitar till I was fourteen years old. But I used to write songs as a kid just constantly like i wanted to be a singer I used, like when i was in the bathtub like <laughs> on sunday night i would be pretending to make my own music videos <laughs> you know that little like silver thing that was in every bathtub yeah yeah, yeah. i'd look at that silver thing and like sing to it yeah like the, the, the drain <laughs> yeah. safe thing where yeah. it rises too hard yeah. yeah yeah that's funny i yeah. like that so that's an interesting thing that i i that surprises me a little bit that you as a singer you kind of explored the top most extreme end of your range rather early on because i think for a lot of people that's something that you kind of ease your way into and kind of start testing the waters but it sounds like you just took a uh a nosedive off the diving board and went straight for gold right for the, the legends top. yeah yeah you mean i mean like i talked to you guys and your guys is uh, musical knowledge is just so vast and there's so many people that I think probably you were exposed to just living a, a little closer to a big city mm. than me and, and I'm, I have no quarrel with my childhood it was great but I there wasn't many you know bands coming through and uh, I, w- I never really took that kind of underground dive mm-hmm. uh, that a lot of artists I think do Nowadays, a lot of the artists that I know. Yeah. Uh, my uh, kind of education in music, it just kind of has happened very slowly as a musician in the past, I don't know, 12 years. Yeah. Yeah. And so living in Kingston, I mean, I know this is a bit of an obvious question, but what did what did the tragically hit mean to you as like a young aspiring musician? What was their, their kind of local <laughs> presence like? Well, I remember the night that it was my uh he wasn't a real grandpa but he was uh he was my aunt's uh father the night he died jay jesse my uncle al and my dad went to a hip concert uh not the night he died the night of his funeral mm-hmm. just for like two or three hours and then came back but it was like their importance to that city was they were like uh ingrained in the community um you know, everybody had their own story about Gord Downey or Rob Baker, um, or you could see him going to, I don't know if it was his nephew or somebody's game at the Amherst Hockey Arena, and mm-hmm. you would see him there. And they weren't really like, um, <clears throat> it wasn't this thing like they were titans or anything. They were more just looked at as um, normal people, but great songwriters. Mm-hmm. And I think the legend slowly grew throughout mm-hmm. their career, but... I mean, I knew the Tragically Hip at a very, very young age, and they were, again, we were very into them. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think my aunt might have hung out with Gord Downey in high school a little bit and, like, dated him, my Aunt Cheryl, but I, I don't know. My uncle, I used to just say, yeah, he was a weird guy, so I think he was a little bit jealous. Yeah. <laughs> a little local jealousy <laughs> yeah, towards yeah, uh, Gord yeah. Downey, but that's yeah. pretty cool, though. Yeah. Um, but they were everywhere, man, and... Um, 
It was awesome. You'd be hard-pressed to find anybody, at least from Odessa, Amherst, Bath, that doesn't love their music. And did you ever have any... Did you cross paths with Gorn at, at any yeah. point? Yeah, I... Uh, I met him one time, and uh, it was like the last two years of. I think he would, might have been battling cancer at the time, but um, or it might have been just before. Mm-hmm. Um, but Costa's brother um, is their uh, head of stage. Yes, uh, Billy Ray, and um, he invited me and Costa down to talk to them. And I was honestly, I was pretty quiet. I, I yeah, I. I was pretty nervous, yeah. if I'm being honest. I think that's that's an important opportunity just to listen yeah. if you can, you know, yeah. when, uh, considering the circumstances. He asked me what my favorite uh, Beatles song was, and um, I forget what I said, but I was like, fuck, that wasn't a good enough answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm going to have to go with the long and winding road. <laughs> <laughs> Shit! <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And uh, in terms of other local legends, um, did you ever kind of, uh, what's, I guess, I guess it's really hard to compare, but bands like the Headstones and stuff. I liked the Headstones as a kid. Yeah. Um, Three Angels, I really liked that song. Um, and I, one of the first songs I ever learned on the guitar was Tweeter and the Monkey Man. Oh, yeah. Their um, cover, right? Yeah, the they, cover. They reconfigured yeah. all the chords. Yeah. Um, I don't so much listen to them anymore, but they were uh they had one album i think it was called picture of health yeah that's one of their albums and i wore that one out pretty good as a kid right on yeah but uh and obviously though like in terms of local presence like the tragically hip were they are though yeah they're the the yeah. constant band yeah man like i don't think they'll ever i mean even as a canadian band you'd be hard pressed oh, to true. find anybody that will ever be loved the way that they are again and i don't think that that happened by accident uh we'll never have somebody to tell canadian stories the way gord downey told them with such a singular voice ever again there's so much so much cool stuff to dig into about the tragically hit but i think like one of the one of the ones that stands out to me the most is if you listen to a tragically hip song and do your best to try and like listen to it in a vacuum and not consider any of like their actual legend. They're a fairly alternative sounding band yes. to put it mildly. Like they're yeah. not, they are not a very conventional or pop oriented no. band forever. They've been that way forever. Forever. Yeah. They, they, and you know, just by, you know, by sheer numbers, they're going to have some monster kind of breakthrough songs like they had, but because they just put such a consistent, steady, hardworking, uh, output, yeah. uh, forward, throughout their whole career but they are a fairly niche sounding band that rose to the stratosphere in terms of popularity in canada you know and that is an amazing and extremely respectable thing it doesn't matter who you are you've got to you've got to observe that i don't think i can think of a a conventional part of their music nothing like even the way rob baker plays the guitar it's all unique to them yeah and uh, one of the things that I also love about that band is that they could just, they, every single, they don't have any bum albums. Like there's, there's good songs on every single one of their mm-hmm. albums, you know, mm-hmm. um, for all, I, I only really got into them when I was a teenager uh, towards like the uh, world container kind of era. Uh, mm-hmm. 
But uh, that made me really go because I just kind of I think growing up in Canada, you kind of take them. I won't say take them for granted, but you just accept them as a part of the backdrop of the country musically. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it took for me uh, that album for me to actually dig in and go back and listen to everything else. But um, just a very, very cool band. So it's interesting to have your insights about what they meant locally, because I, I uh, they were they were so uh important and still are to the entire Canadian narrative but I can yeah. I it's it's interesting to hear um their importance uh specifically locally because they are uh, they're from Kingston. Well so. here's an example of that. The station or K Rock every summer would do like the five hundred greatest songs of all time. And when you're a nine year old listening to rock and roll, you don't you can't really measure any of this stuff. So K Rock tells you these are the five hundred greatest mm-hmm. songs of all time. It's yeah. gospel. It's, yeah. You're from a you're like I grew up in Odessa. There's six hundred people there. That was one of the the main stations in that area. Um it's like fifteen minutes outside of Kingston. Like the tragedy hip were always top ten. Yeah. And you're in like not to like downplay the tragically hip presence but growing up in a small town being a kid hearing the tragically hip like having one of the greatest songs of all time on your radio station you're like it must be yeah it must (laughs) be i i yeah no matter what yeah they must think this in london england too exactly yeah Yeah. Yeah. that's that's really funny um so now just kind of digging back into the past as well in terms of the formation of the glorious sons um can you can you just kind of uh, impart to us kind of the the, the uh, a brief version of how that kind of came into being and and how uh, if there was a moment where you just felt things click and you felt like I can do this and we can do this or whether it's just been a gradual process? Yeah, um, I feel like it's been a gradual process no matter what. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I think right from the start we were like we can do this. Yeah, that's kind of the mindset that we always have. Um, you know, uh, Jay started the band, and I don't think there was any way that he was not going to be able to play music for at least a living because he'd been working construction for years. And, you know, we used to talk about it all the time. It would always come back to, like, I fucking hate this. Yeah. I want to be in a rock and roll band. And uh, I was at school during the time. So Jay started the band, and... I'd quit school and I was playing music out there trying to... Out in Halifax? Yeah, Halifax. Uh, trying to make something of myself there and it wasn't happening at all. I was working at Call It Spring and I was having a, just some tough personal things going on and um, they kept on calling me to come back home to join the band and I kept on being like, you guys are drunk. Like, get the, f- get the fuck out of here. I don't want to... I don't want to talk about this. I wanted to do something without my brother. Yeah, 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 yeah. For yeah. once in my life. Yeah. And um, I went home at Christmas time, and they had, like, their second show. And I didn't know what to expect, but they were like, oh, yeah, come open for us. And so I went to Brandy's Bar and Grill. <laughs> what year would this have been? Oh. 2010, Yeah, sometime around then. Okay. Yeah, 2010 maybe, maybe 2011. Maybe 2012, maybe 2009. Uh, <laughs> um, so I play in my set, whatever, it's all good. And then they take the stage and, like, they were good. And I didn't really expect, you know, I was, I was, I remember being extremely taken aback with how 
unique their song sounded, at least compared to the stuff that Jay and I had been writing, you know, two or three years ago before yeah. we left. Prior it had, to you leaving. It had a voice. Um, <clears throat> and you know what? A lot of that had to do with uh, Andrew, the first guitar player, because Jay and him were the singers of the band. There was mm-hmm. two singers. Um, so I got back out to Halifax. I had that little bird chirping in the back of my brain. Yeah. Like, what am I missing? Um, just some things kind of went down out there and some things went wrong for me. And uh, I called Jay and I was like, can I join the band? Like, is the offer still there? And he was like, yeah. So I went home and joined the band and started working. Me, Jay, and Andrew were working for his company, his contracting company. And we were just playing like four times a week in Kingston, mm-hmm. like as much as possible. And we felt like the biggest rock band in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, our every Thursday night at Brandy's, there'd be like 80 of our friends. And it would just be a, just the biggest slosh fest yeah. of all time. And we put in some terrible shows, just like, just yelling at, I remember yelling at, you know, the other singer's sister from the stage, like screaming at her in front of everybody, from the microphone. We used to do these um, cider tequila drop shots. So you would drink like three of these ciders with a drop shot of tequila in them. And by the third one, before you knew it, you'd be like, 15 minutes on stage and you'd be crushed drunk. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of how the band was birthed. Just yeah. <laughs> Cider, tequila, crush yeah. Uh, shots. Yeah. But we were constantly writing and playing and, you know, we'd go put in like 10 hour days at work and me and Andrew didn't work very hard. Jay did. Yeah. And then we get home and uh, we jam and, that was our life, you know. Um, and I remember right from the get-go thinking to myself, like, if I can't do this for the rest of my life in whatever form this is, then I'm fucked. Mm-hmm. It was the only thing I wanted to do. Even, you know, coming out of high school, the plan was to take my band from the high school, the Stone City Limits, move all to Toronto, a couple of us go to school there, the rest of us play music. I mean but all play music at the same yeah. time. It was always kind of there, like that was what I was going to do. I kind of went to university to appease my parents, as we do. Yeah, as uh, as many of us do. Yeah. Myself included. Yeah. It's funny how uh, a 17-year-old version of yourself decides you're going to be a psychologist or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doesn't uh, work. No, it doesn't really no. work out. Um, that's super interesting, though. I, I did not know that about how... Uh, that uh, you guys were working together and then you, so it was kind of like, you know, you, you obviously, um, there was an element of like, this is, this is an escape from the inevitable fates that we will all basically have to endure for the rest of our lives if this doesn't work. Yeah. There's an element of, I think that there has to be an element of desperation in rock and roll for it to, or else you're never going to get off your ass to actually make the important risks to actually get the thing off the ground, you know? Yeah. And I would say, like, I probably, the worst example of it, because I was never very good at any work I did, but, I mean, Jay and... Uh, Mamba and Packer, you know, they all worked these steady labor jobs and construction jobs, you know, for years 
by the time Jay and the the band started actually doing well, Jay was 29 years old. Mm-hmm. He'd been working for since he was 15 on job sites. Yeah. And, you know, it was kind of like we wanted to get the fuck out of there and make something of, you know, the real dreams that we had. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, thank God it worked in, to some extent. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <clears throat> and I, for me, it would have worked. I remember the very moment, it was after New Year's Eve, and we were supposed to be loading our stuff out of the Tiranog in, in Kingston, and they left the taps on, and we just started drinking all the beer, like pouring our own beers and drinking them. And they caught us and kicked us out, and we were kind of like hooligan, being hooligans, like walking around downtown hammered on a Sunday or a Monday, whatever day it was. And we sat down at this booth in this restaurant, and I looked at everybody. I was like, this is what I want forever. And that's kind of, that's kind of the pinnacle moment, I guess, that it started. That's, that's really cool, man, that you, can, uh, that you could basically pinpoint it back to a moment. Yeah. That's very exciting. Yeah, it was cool. It's funny how, you know, uh, bands um, originate. I, I don't know. I think everybody has some kind of reverence for their own um, story. Yeah, and and like you know that where where there's where you know at, there's a certain point near the beginning when you feel that uh, impetus and um, you know it's almost like. God put you on this earth to do that. <laughs> yeah. and, and the stakes are low. Like it hasn't, you haven't gotten exactly. into the myriad of all the problems mm-hmm. and all of the things and like the, you know, the, the uncountable distractions that exist for all rock bands. But like there is uh, those moments, I think all of us really look back on with just basically complete and unflinching beauty as, yeah. as like, because um, those are the important things that basically sustain you on this trail, mm-hmm. wh- which is full of setbacks and, and uh, hurdles. You but. don't know how hard it's going to be no. at that point. Like, and thank God you don't or else you wouldn't start. You wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So true. It's, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's funny how, you know, your goals change, right? As a band, like, I mean, just not to go too far down our thing, but I remember like our first goal was to play because we're from Dundas, which is basically like the Shire from Lord of the Rings. We're like, (laughs) you know, I just wanted, I did like our goal was to play a show in Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Just want to play a show in Hamilton. Then we'll be a real band. Yeah. And, uh, you know, your goals, your goals increase, but like once you achieve these things, um, when it's, when it's kind of in the early stages and you're, you're basically, you're, you, you you just you're idealistic and full of energy. There's uh, it's always fun to look back on that like the pureness of that mm-hmm. moment or that period. Mm-hmm. So it's very that that is a hilarious and uh, very fitting kind of genesis for yeah. for your guys's uh, uh, success. It's funny how the more things you I guess achieve or. The more success you have in the business, it kind of feeds into the wanting of more. Yeah. And it's it's funny how small the goals were when we started. What? How little it was, how little, the, how little it took to make you happy. Yeah. And then you open for the fucking Stones or the Who. Yeah. And then you're like, it doesn't feel as good almost sometimes. I was playing that first bar Exactly, game. which is fucked. Yeah, it's crazy. Because there's like pressure and... 
like the stakes are so high and not to say you're not appreciative, but of it's course. just, it's fucking crazy. I think too, that in those early days, like, you know, the, 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 the issue is when you're, when you get further down your career and you are able to manage these, you know, titanic achievements, basically things that most bands could literally only dream of. Mm -hmm. um, they're always contextualized by the problems that basically, or issues that, you know, your life in rock and roll is currently presenting, be it, you know, I'll leave that up to your imagination, all yeah. of those things. Yeah. But like in the early days, even if the, um, even if the achievements are considerably more humble and almost minuscule by your current standards, they aren't content contextualized at all by any of these drawback, annoying things. No. Um, and so it just makes them that more pure. And back to your point, if you were self-conscious like that back then or you put too much importance into it in those early stages you probably wouldn't make it you're gonna wash the fuck out dude. yeah you're not gonna yeah you're too sensitive to the whole thing no you gotta be bulletproof and stupid to to, to get into this whole thing yeah like to, to really get going i think you got to be completely ignorant and blind to the real opposition that you're facing up ahead you yeah gotta, you gotta just be running full tilt you know yeah with your head down <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, cte baby yeah exactly we all got our own form of musical cte <laughs> Um, so back into the writing thing a little bit. Um, I just wanted to kind of ask you about like, you know, obviously, uh, as we all progress through our individual careers, we, um, our, our heroes and who we kind of draw upon as an inspiration kind of changes. Is there anybody that's sustained you long term since you've kind of picked up the guitar in the first place or anybody new that you, Bruce, 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 a hundred percent, um, Towns Van Zandt, um, Blaze Foley, um, Jackson Brown. Like I listen to his stuff a little less nowadays. Um, th there's a lot of people. You know, I have trouble sometimes when people ask that question. Actually, yeah, yeah. actually naming the artists. You know, like somebody like the Killers. Yeah. You know, they got big when I was I don't know ten or something. Mm -hmm. But they've been there my entire life. Mm -hmm. I've seen them in the moment be great yeah. and. You know, a song like Read My Mind just has always broken my heart. And I, You know, I don't really think of any of them really when I'm writing. And when I do start writing, if I think of, like, Bruce Springsteen, I'm fucked. Like, if I start thinking about, like, uh, any of his lines or how this song compares to it, I'll hit a roadblock immediately. Because oh, yeah. I'll think to myself, it'll never be as good. No, 100%. I mean, it's, I think you, when you're writing and if you become cognizant of other people's work as you're writing, it kind of brings you out of things. Even if you, even if there's like a small part of you that kind of knows uh, you're ripping something off, you got to just not acknowledge it and just yeah. keep going forward. Yeah. You know, as soon as you start thinking about that, you've kind of like, you, you, you kind of take yourself out of the dream. You clip yourself. Yeah. Every time I think, well, at least for me. I'm sure there's some people who are better at staying out of it, but I mean, I think they're usually meant for more writing rooms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like when you're taking the personal adventure of writing, there shouldn't be anybody, uh, any kind of hero, anybody squawking in the back of your mind. I agree. <clears throat> Would you say um, 
that your motivation for writing uh, fluctuates depending on the day? Is it is it is it usually out of like a more idealistic need for expression? Like I, I realize this is a bit of a kind of a clinical question, but I am just kind of curious, and I'm not and totally it's totally fair if it's if it's harder to nail down. But do you think it's more of a thing that's due to like I'm, there's a thing I want to get off my chest, or are you searching for a melody, or are you like goddamn it, I need to write some new songs, or a mixture of all three in, at different times? Um, all three at different so- times, I would say. I think. I hear a lot of like you've you've talked about melody being a main thing that you kind of chase after early on. Is that for sure? Yeah, I that's never been my like thing. I like to try to work the words around and shape them into the melody. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always wanted a catchy melody. Mm. <laughs> you don't want to write you know folk songs every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but. I, uh, I, it's always just been about, I think, trying to connect with human beings around me and trying, I think like one of the most important things is to like be able to see and say, I think that like, you know, whether it's journalism or writing novels or poems, um, you know, I think that it, uh, I try to stumble upon the epiphanies or whatever the hell you want to call them in the songs through just normal stories rather than, you know, start wide and hone in. I start... Like this. Small. Yeah, and then it kind of goes yeah. like this. And yeah. It, and it kind of happens. I would say like the themes of what I'm writing about a lot of the time or whatever's happening, it happens by accident naturally with the actions of uh, the people uh, in the stories or the uh, or the places or the things, if you will. Yeah. Uh, do you think that a lot of that kind of do you, was Nebraska kind of an, an instrumental in kind of like yeah. planting that narrative idea for you? Yeah, I think so. But I think it also just came across very naturally because uh, I always loved stories. Mm. So like when I started writing music and you're like emulating people or whatever, sure, I was probably emulating the boss. But like as a seven-year-old kid, I was writing you know, stories and, and trying to like be an author to some extent. Um, it's just always been my life was about kind of like the story of man, I guess, in society. And, uh, that's probably why Jackson Brown pretender, the pretender resonated so hard with me. It's just, I wanted to look outside and, you know, see the people on our block and, and be able to kind of, just look at them and jot down what they're doing, and then it allows everybody else to kind of make up these ideas in their own mm. heads. Yeah. Um, because I think that, I said this like a week ago, but I think that the most, um, your life is mainly made up of mundane actions and events. <clears throat> and I think that sometimes they happen to be the least tapped into um, area as far as you know, writing and stuff goes, and I think that usually some of the biggest emotions can come from it. Um, just like I said, just the smallest actions and the smallest of thoughts. I mean, like I can't even really explain it, but I've done my best. No, I I I know exactly what you're talking about. I think that's that's a very important observation that you know. 
It's uh, most of life is, is a mundane thing. And if you can, if you can basically capture that and find the beauty yeah. and the sadness uh, and everything in between yeah. within those kind of, within, you know, the majority of each person's experience, then you can really tap into something special because most people are looking to explore the most, the extremes of the human experience. Yes. And if you can get to something that's more uh, banal or... Uh, the silence. The, yeah. You know, the, everybody who's sitting at, anybody who can't go to sleep or t- who can't, you know, or they just put the kids to get bed, they're washing the dishes or they're walking alone or they're sitting on a bench in the park. Every single person is thinking and they're thinking about things that happened to them or parts of their life. And usually they're thinking about things that are very relatable to somebody else, mm-hmm. maybe in that same park or in the house beside you and they're not that grandiose of a yeah. topic yeah they're very small snapshots yeah. of their existence that just maybe set them off differently or maybe it put them down a different path or you know it's very simple stuff i've always found yeah that's i mean some of the most profound things especially if we're focusing on bruce is like the is the more mundane mm-hmm. observations or paintings that he makes with his words that are like that are the most impactful because there's you know there's there's universal truth in in those observations versus the ones about you know Bonnie and Clyde and stuff that are more romantic kind mm-hmm. of mythology based mm-hmm. things but when he kind of captures what it's or John Prine you know hello in yeah, there John, we're talking about that most one most beautiful song yeah. you know that's John Prine is is one of those guys that is able to to see the beauty and 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 sadness in the most mundane things right what's that line where he's talking about his friend coming over and uh, his friend asks him how he is and he, or what he oh what he, pretty good what he's what he's been up to yeah. pretty good nothing that, much you yeah yeah it's like the perfect fucking line yeah, of all time that's life right that's there. what i'm trying to do yeah that's all yeah yeah shout out to john prime miss your brother <laughs> um well that's very cool i i wanted to ask you a few more questions and okay. uh, uh and then i i guess we'll release you into the wild and we're, it's uh, it's sad that we're losing you to the beautiful uh, nil compound. Thanks for having me, buddy. It, it's been great. It's been a pleasure. It, it's been a hell of a time. I've got a few. I've got a few questions here. Um, let's just go into touring a little bit, and specifically, you know, how has this whole uh, boring disaster called pandemic? Uh, <laughs> uh, how what how have you been able to reflect on touring? And obviously, you know, you guys tour like motherfuckers. Yeah. And what has this kind of distance and vacation allowed you uh, personally in terms of perspective on that lifestyle? And do you look forward to getting back to it? Or has this been a, um, a much uh, anticipated break? And mm-hmm. yeah, just how do you feel about it? Well, my mental health has never been better. And I mean, I'm not living like a saint during this time. Uh, like, I'm having a good time. But uh, I just think that to stop moving for the band was a really, really important uh, thing. And it just, you know, I don't mean to downplay the pandemic, but it happened at the perfect time for us. You know, other than the canceled tour, we probably could have made it through, made a few more bucks. But um, I think what it showed me, number one, is that we can tour differently in the future, Mm -hmm. a little smarter. Um, Number two, uh, you know, it's a little, you get a little fearful about it because 
as touring musicians, we do have to make money. That's a really important part. Um, but I think it'll be... I think it'll come back. It might be a little different. I don't know what that even looks like. I don't have the uh, the insight uh, to see how it'll happen. But um, honestly, I've just really enjoyed the break. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, it's a very interesting time to be a musician, especially you know a touring musician. But um, and I am excited to get back. But we were talking about yeah. it the other day. There's certain things that I'm not excited about. Yeah, we had a funny conversation about that. Like. About- not excited to get back on a plane, get herded through the airport like freaking cow. Yeah. Not excited for seventeen dollar sandwiches without mustard, which is a real piss and off. A, a we should be Dasani. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I think the main thing that I miss is just that you know, we we talked about it the other day, that electric feeling of feeling on top of the world, seeing people sing your songs and I'm a little bit you guys have already done this but I'm a little bit scared of the whole um, internet show kind of thing yeah I I don't know what that's gonna look like for us I don't know how we're gonna translate in that sense the cyber sex version of rock and roll yeah 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 yeah, I mean it's uh it's a very uh, it's very complicated time in terms of uh you know basically trying to maintain a semblance of of progress, right? And and uh and you know we we play rock and roll and rock and roll is 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 a live thing and recordings are great and they're they're fun and they're awesome and it's important to document things and make good recordings, but what we do is play live. That's that's what our, that's why we we didn't get into this to make recordings and then sit on the couch. We got into this to play live because that's the greatest thing in the world, right? Like it's, uh, yeah. there's nothing like it. There was never a chance even coming up in my mind that you could be a band and not play live. Yeah. I didn't know that existed. Yeah. I do feel for smaller bands. Most that, certainly. That uh, they might not be able to pay the bills for a while. Uh, Especially like bands that are just breaking or on the verge of breaking. I mean, that's kind of a that would be very scary. It's a tough spot. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, I I have a lot of optimism about the future in terms of, you know, I, uh, call me idealistic, but I think that the what has gotten the average Joe and including ourselves through this is is you know arts. And this is this is not my own sentiment, but I will echo it, is that, you know, people are, people are reminded the value of art, you know, mm-hmm. in, in times like this, you know, it doesn't, doesn't matter how good you are with a fucking spreadsheet, uh, <laughs> if you can't blow off some steam and listen to some NWA or whatever, yeah. whatever you, what, or watch a show or a movie, like, art, art is important, and yeah, I because think, it's such a lonely time, yeah, and you art need keeps it. you company, yeah, and there's, you can't go to the bar, no. You can't hang out with more than 10 people. No. And, yeah. And let's just be honest. Zoom calls fucking suck. They do suck. They're yeah. shit. Yeah. They're shit. If you were like, hey, do you want to do a Zoom call with 10 people? Or would you? <laughs> I'm not even going to say the or. I'll just take anything that's on the or. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. I can't. Uh, I'll just rather not. We, we yeah. play poker <laughs> once a week on Thursday. But I don't know if I could do it without the poker. Yeah, if there's something. But like, just like looking at everyone's face, like, yeah, is it is, is it my turn to talk? Yeah. And even most of the time, we get hammered, drunk, and start chirping each other. And I think it's because we're like not 
face to face and nobody can really throw bombs. Yeah. So, so, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you're like, sure. you're separated by this the computer screen. I feel like there's probably been some real damage done to relationships. Oh, yeah. And there's always the one guy on the Zoom call who's out, out in the wind. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, that's like, me. Hey, can you mute your fucking phone until you have something to say? Because you're ruining this for fucking 12 other people. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, anyways, uh, thanks to the Zoom Corporation for their lovely gifts to humanity. Um, so let's, uh, let's wrap this up. I got one uh, last question for you. What is your favorite thing that Kyle has cooked... Uh, during the pandemic, for those of you that you don't that uh, that don't know, Kyle has really blossomed into a kind of a he's kind of like a jacked version of Martha Stewart. Or he's Gordon the matriarch of the family. Yeah, yeah. And you're the patriarch, of course. <laughs> I'm the angry guy yeah. up in the attic. <laughs> if I gotta come down there, there's gonna be hell to pay. Yeah, he's gonna be mad at me. I'm trying to remember all his dishes. Yeah, that is a bomb ass Oreo cheesecake in the fridge. It's right a great now. Oreo cheesecake. Great Oreo cheesecake. Yeah. I, you know what? I don't think like he'll see this at some point, but I th- I think he did that despite me. I think Kyle made that cause I because I was saying I was going to make, make my own cake, fucking cheesecake. But he wasn't going to let his buddy get eat your cake. He wanted his buddy. Yeah, he's to just eat. like, oh, I'm going to make a fucking Oreo <laughs> cheesecake. <laughs> I'm telling you, my cheesecake's still coming. Mom and, and dad are fighting. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that that number one award is still up for grabs. What's it I'm not again? out of this fight. It's called the. It's called the white trash, no bake cheesecake, yeah. and it's coming in hot. But it's not actually hot; it's cold. There's no baking involved. Okay. But, uh, the rainbow trout last night was amazing. That was fantastic. Um, He's getting really good at cooking fish. Yeah. He does a. <sighs> the first lasagna that Kyle made. Oh yeah. Was the like one of the best? Was I here for that? I think so. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, the second one was good too, but the first one had the perfect distribution of the cheese on the top so that mm. none of the edges get all crispy and hard. Anyways, I could go on for a while, but if you had to pick one, what do you think it is? I'm sorry, Kyle, I can't remember them all. Just I'm going to choose the rainbow trout the last rainbow night. The rainbow trout was last perfectly night. perfectly cooked. That was a good one. You've been very helpful, my friend. Delicious meals. Excellent, excellent cook. We love your cooking, Kyle. We love um, you, dude. And so... Uh, that basically does it for me. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell, uh, you know, our uh, 100,000 followers uh, on YouTube? Uh, and what's your message to the world? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> uh, no message. No message. I'm, uh, I'm entering my... Uh, uh, there's no message. Zero messages. I'm going to be my... I'm entering my recluse phase and... Uh, your Dylan Woodstock phase. Yeah, yeah. But just no motorcycle accident. No, no, no. That's good. Not as much cocaine either. (laughs) (laughs) And there you have it, folks. Thank you very much for watching Born to Rome, everybody. Thank you very much to Brett Emmons, one of my best friends in the world. Hail, hail, rock and roll. Be good to each other, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. 